Thank you, choir. That was wonderful. You're full of faith now, aren't you? You can feel it? Yeah, appreciate that so much. I appreciate so much having our students up front and having a very different kind of experience, cross-cultural experience in Washington, D.C. I was listening to Casey Burgess last night at Saturday night, and um, he talked about their worship experience. They were in a black church, an African-American church in Washington, D.C., and it wasn't a large church, it was a small church. But I'm thinking to myself, um, the kingdom of God breaking in right at that time. And for those students that were there, that will be a time that they will never forget as part of their faith story. And I uh, was so very grateful to have them testify last night and this morning here today. So um, let's, let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for these, um, uplift, this uplifting time of worship. We thank you, Lord, for our focus here today on the Lord's Prayer and specifically these three very important words. And we pray, Lord, that you would now open our eyes and bless us, Lord, as we hear your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Jenny and I had, a, uh, had been uh, wanting for many, many, many years and planning uh, to take a trip to Spain. And this past summer, we were able to do that, to celebrate our 30th anniversary. And of course, when you're in Spain, you have to go to the capital, and we went to Madrid. And if you go to the capital of a major European city, you have to go to the royal palace, right? Well, when you go to a royal palace, you see thrones, and you're, you're kind of mesmerized by um, all the, the, the crowns and the scepters and the jewels that are there. Um, but quite honestly, my favorite room in the royal palace was a little room that was uh, kind of uh, very plain, actually, but right in the middle of it, uh, it was called the antechamber of Maria Cristina, also known as the Stradivarius room. And in this very kind of plain room, right in the center, encased in glass, uh, were four Stradivarius instruments made in 1709 for the Spanish court by Antonio Stradivarius. And uh, this is for you, Spencer, wherever you are. Uh, I asked him to, to, to look up today, what, what's the going rate for a Stradivarius violin? It's about $8 million. So here are some happy uh, musicians who are holding probably 30 to $40 million in their hands. Uh, and, and so I was, as, as a musician, I was just kind of very impressed by that. To see, it's one thing to see one Stradivarius. I thought four in one place was pretty impressive. But today our focus is not on royal palaces, it's not on earthly kingdoms with all their precious treasures and jewels, uh, as grand as they may seem to us as mere mortals. Today we are considering something far greater, God's kingdom, an everlasting kingdom that exists both now in our hearts where Jesus has been enthroned as king and also a future kingdom will Christ, when Christ will return and set up a new heavens and a new earth. Now, last week, Mark kind of made a big deal about uh, preaching the shortest text that he ever preached. Uh, do you remember what that was? Hour. That's right, hour. I had to work a little bit harder this week. Mine was three times as long as Mark's. <laughs> Took a little bit longer to memorize. Are you Ready? Thy kingdom come. This is the word of the Lord. Lord, we thank you that your kingdom, in fact, has come. 
And we're so grateful for that. We have evidence of that all around us, so evident this morning. But we also, Lord, look forward to the coming kingdom, the new heavens and the new earth. And we pray, Lord, that you would inspire us today and continue to inspire us in worship. Father, as we consider the kingdom that is here now, as well as the kingdom to come. In Jesus' name, amen. When Jesus teaches his disciples to pray, thy kingdom come, what is Jesus referring to? You know, when we talk about the kingdom of God, it's a little bit like an onion, peeling back the the layers of an onion. You peel back one layer and there's another layer, and you peel back a layer and there's another layer. There's so much to talk about when it comes to the kingdom of God. Jesus talked more about the kingdom of God than any other subject in the New Testament. There's been more written by theologians about the kingdom of God than probably anything else related to heaven. But in a a nutshell, when Jesus says, thy kingdom come, he's referring both to God's spiritual reign in the heart of an individual believer, Jesus come, and his coming rule over all of creation. When the disciples were looking all over, when they were with Jesus and they say, where's the kingdom, where's the kingdom? And Jesus would say to them, the kingdom of God is within you. Luke 17, where Jesus is enthroned in the human heart, the kingdom of God is there. And at the same time, when the church prays, thy kingdom come, Jesus is teaching the church to pray for the establishment of God's kingdom now, but also for the final fulfillment of the kingdom of God to come. When Christ returns in his glory and he establishes a new heavens and a new earth. We don't know a lot about what this is going to look like, but John probably gives us the best picture in Revelation 21 of what this coming kingdom, just a little, a little snippet of it. We read in Revelation 21, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and then there was no longer any sea. I don't totally get that. I can't imagine with no sea living in the Puget Sound. I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning, or crying, or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. John gives us just a little open portal to what the kingdom of God will look like. The new Jerusalem coming out of heaven is compared to a bride that is beautifully adorned for her husband. How many of you have ever been to a really large wedding? Have you been to a large wedding? Well, just a few weeks ago, Chapel Hill played host to a really large wedding. I I just happened to be kind of a a passerby at the time. But right out in our narthex were nine or ten bridesmaids all sort of flittering around in in their flowing green little dresses. And 
right there before the wedding, the bride was just standing there, just beautiful, beautifully adorned in her white gown with a long train. And just in my passing by, as I was going up to my office, I could feel the the joy that was in the air, waiting, the sense of anticipation of the wedding. John gives us just a little glimpse of this with the kingdom that is to come. Unspeakable joy, a heightened sense of anticipation of the presence of the king. The the bride, the church, radiant and pure in the presence of her husband. These are fabulous images as we consider the kingdom of God to come. But John goes on to whet our taste buds even more about this coming kingdom. He says, he describes the longing of every human heart. He says, no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, and no more pain. Wars are over. Can you imagine a world without war? During most of human history, there's been a war going on somewhere on this earth. Dictators deposed. No more Putins, no more Assads, no more rogue nations that we have to worry about. Petty politics, political bullying of one another, slash and burn campaigning, that's all gone away with the old order of things. Diseases cured, death vanquished. In their absence, joy unspeakable. In the presence of our God, who is glorious and loving, full of mercy and grace. Right now, we can only imagine what it will be like for Jesus to return and for the fulfillment of God's kingdom for all eternity. But when Jesus taught the disciples to pray, Thy kingdom come, he also taught them to pray that the kingdom of God would come now. Not just for the future when the king returns and he vanquishes Satan and judges him for all of eternity but to see powerful manifestations of his future kingdom present now with his disciples on earth. When Jesus taught his church to pray, thy kingdom come, he taught her to pray for the continual advancement of God's kingdom on this earth. Jesus started with 12, 2,000 years later, there are 2 billion. A kingdom that would be marked by a different set of values, an upside-down kingdom clearly set forth in Jesus' greatest sermon ever told, the Sermon on the Mount, in which the, the Lord's Prayer is nestled right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. And the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes speak to us about the values of this kingdom that Jesus envisions. And the fantastic thing is these kingdom values are being lived out right now. This kingdom of God has broken in to our everyday life and we see it all around us. Sometimes we don't have the eyes to see and we need to be reminded that it's right here in our, in our very presence and that's what I want to do this morning by God's grace. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I like the Phillips translation of this verse. Blessed are you 
When you know your need of God, that's what it means to be poor in spirit. There's a certain humility that's captured in that. Humility is such a beautiful expression when it's seen in, the hu- in a human being. Humility comes when you know your own sense of brokenness and weakness. I serve in a department where we work with people who recognize their own brokenness, their own weakness, and they want to do something about it. It's an inspirational environment because you witness transformational stories about people whose lives have been put back together again, where captives are set free, where the brokenhearted are bound up, and where the oppressed find joy. Jesus said, blessed are you who are poor in spirit, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus also said, blessed are you who mourn, for you will be comforted. Recently, there was a memorial service here at Chapel Hill for a woman who passed away at the age of 67 from multiple myeloma. She had been a a teacher and a principal down in San Diego for most of her life. She was an extraordinary person. She was teacher of the year for all of California one year, and she had the amazing uh, ability to go into inner city San Diego as a principal and turn around two dangerous inner city schools and change them from from dangerous places to safe places, from the lowest test scores to some of the highest test scores in all of San Diego Unified School District. Amazing person. But when they came here to Gig Harbor, coming back to their original place, their, their, their native Washington, they came back to Gig Harbor only to find out that she had an incurable form of cancer. And what was amazing to hear was the activity of the kingdom of God all around this woman and her husband when they moved back to Gig Harbor. Right in their immediate neighborhood were a number, a significant number of Chapel Hill families. Our brothers and sisters in Christ wrapped their arms around this mourning family. One day, neighbors put on a wedding for this dying woman's son in her backyard. On many occasions, people from the neighborhood took Patty to Seattle for her cancer treatments. The kingdom of God broke out throughout this woman's battle with cancer as God's people comforted that family who were mourning. God's kingdom come through brothers and sisters in Chapel Hill, probably listening this morning. They were present from the beginning of their time in Gig Harbor all the way to the end through her time in hospice and through her memorial service. And they continue to comfort her husband who does not yet know the Lord. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Jesus said, blessed are you who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for you will be satisfied. We have a children's department and a youth department that passionately teach and model biblical values to children and youth so that the next generation will understand how to love God and how to have God-honoring relationships 
with other people. And we have a compassionate ministry called The Landing for teens who are grappling with hard life issues. Sometimes teens are struggling because they come from broken homes. Sometimes they're struggling because being a teenager in today's world is really hard. And it's even harder when you try to follow the Lord. Sometimes they're struggling because they've made some wrong choices. And they need a safe place to be loved and accepted, to hear the truth, and to be given godly biblical counsel in a non-judgmental, comforting, compassionate environment. Blessed are you who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for you will be satisfied. Jesus also said, Blessed are those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. We have a deacon's ministry that makes meals for people coming out of the hospital who are too ill to make dinners for themselves. We have a Titus ministry that is ready and waiting to help people in need with their groceries, with gas money, with heating bills, and rent. People from our church, people from our community. We have Christian teachers and administrators working in the public schools who show Christ-like love to students and who model healthy behavior and boundaries for children whose home lives in some cases are in shambles from divorce and drug abuse. The kingdom of God breaking through on earth as it is in heaven. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. A Christian doctor in our area had a patient for many years with MS. The disease eventually became so advanced that the woman was bound to a wheelchair. The doctor who knew his patient over many years knew of her emotional struggle with her husband's infidelity. The kingdom of God broke through. God's gentle peacemaker encouraged his longtime patient to forgive her husband so that she would be set free from her own bitterness. The woman forgave her husband, and through his divine grace, the woman rose up out of her wheelchair and walked again, never returning to a state of paralysis. The kingdom of God breaking breaking in to set the captives free. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. These are just a few stories of the kingdom of God breaking in now, on earth as it is in heaven, in our community, in our church, in sometimes very subtle ways, in sometimes very extraordinary ways, but the kingdom of God is here now. So my question to all of us today is, how is God's kingdom wanting to break in in and through your life as his followers? 
How is the spirit of Jesus nudging you to advance the kingdom of God through you on earth as it is in heaven? We sing songs about nothing is impossible with God. The only thing that limits God is us. So can we envision ourselves as kingdom bearers, as people, channels through whom the kingdom of God will come on this earth? And what could he do if we were a people completely set free to see the kingdom of God here on earth as it is in heaven? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we pray this prayer, thy kingdom come. We recognize, Lord, we, those are words that just pass fleeting by through our minds. And we don't consider the immense ramifications, the immense power of those words. That your presence in us as king, the presence of your Holy Spirit, the presence of of the Spirit of Jesus in us, Lord, you want to flow through us to touch and impact the lives of others because the kingdom of God is here now on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, would you open our eyes up to the ways that you want to break forth into this community and you want to use us for that process. We pray, Lord, that we would not walk in fear that we would not be afraid, but that we would have your peace to be open to what it is you want to do in and through us. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.